Amen. It's wonderful to sing that song, especially in the midst of this crazy storm we're in, right? <laughs> Thought you'd have to take a boat to church today, but um, it turned out to not be so bad. It is good to see you, and those of you that have braved it and made it out to church this morning, and if you're joining us online, I hope you're enjoying the, the, the weather at home as well. Um, it is my privilege on these third Sundays, uh, my name's Justin, by the way, I'm one of the pastors here if you're newer, um, but it is my privilege to get to lead you guys through the scriptures on these third Sundays of the month, and we have been traveling through the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and we have been doing a series that we call Our Journey of Faith. And this Sunday, I've been kind of excited because I've been looking forward to this, this, the way the Apostle Paul wraps up this chapter, and we are finishing up this chapter in this series. It's been kind of a long series since we only meet once a month, so it's been about seven or eight months since we started this. But this has been a series all about the idea of faith, the exciting nature of the stories and the characters that the Apostle Paul has chosen to string together to illustrate the importance the vitality, the, the, the utter reliance we should have on faith. And Paul has strung together, I think, some of his own personal favorites and some of the greatest um, heroes, if you would, of faith of the Old Testament. This, this chapter, as I mentioned in the beginning, is often called the Hall of Faith or the Heroes of Faith. And that's really what it is. Paul looks and finds these great warriors for faith. Um, he, he picks, if you go through, Abel and Enoch and Noah and the early, early story of faith when God was um, working through these forefathers. He picks, of course, Abraham. And we went through the life of Abraham and how vital faith was as Abraham started out on a journey that God called him to walk by when he didn't reveal where he was going. He just said, Abraham, get out of your homeland and I will reveal to you a, a new home when you get there. <laughs> It was just this walk in the dark, if you would. Later on, Abraham, we see that great story where Abraham was called to offer his only son, the son of promise, Isaac, there on Mount Moriah. And you see the faith of some of these heroes of the faith. I mean, of course, last month we looked at Moses, the grand leader, of course, that Moses was. But before he was that leader, he had to make a choice by faith to take a risk, to let go of all the riches and all the spoils of Egypt and to say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to hold on to your people. I'm going to be rejected. We see him do that, and it's story after story that, that the Apostle Paul is compounding here that, honestly, when I read it, I get a little overwhelmed. I feel a little deflated, like, this is supposed to be me? A little self-conscious at times, like, I'm supposed to have Abraham's faith? Be willing to sacrifice my own son? <laughs> I don't know about that, Lord. I'm supposed to be like Moses and forsake everything in this world? That's pretty difficult. I'm supposed to be like Noah and spend a hundred years just holding on to this, this command you gave me while everyone else in the world is laughing at me. And, and somehow you can kind of go through Hebrews chapter 11, I think, and, and begin to see these examples and think, this is awesome to look at, but I don't know how I compare to these people. I don't know. I, I kind of thought of this recently in, in an area I'm doing a new ministry, getting to serve in. I was asked by a friend of mine, and he, he works for the city of Laguna Beach, and he said, hey, we want to start a, a chaplain program for the Laguna Beach firefighters. We think you're the right age for them, and we'd love to have you do that. And so 
we got involved and started this chaplain program, and it was pretty cool. I get to go out, and I get to minister to the firefighters and um, get to know them and, and, and talk about them, about the Lord, talk with them about the Lord and life and those types of things and be a support for them. And one of the coolest parts of it is that to do this, I kind of have to be seen as one of them, trusted by them, so they give me a uniform like a regular fire uniform with the boots and a bag. I get a badge. I get the whole, I get a helmet and I get to go on ride-alongs with them. I have my own spot in the engine. You know, I'm like hand out the little hats to kids as they go by, as wave to people, you know, blow kisses, all that whole thing, right? I get to pretend to be a firefighter <laughs> and it's pretty cool. Um, except for when we pull up on the scene of like a, a problem or, or an emergency or a medical situation. This always happens in medical situations, I've realized. I go out and I have nothing to do. I'll ride along with these guys and we, last time we pulled up on a lady who was, who was really injured, badly injured, and right away the firefighters, they jump out and they spring into action. They're, they're fixing her up, they're assessing the situation, but I just kind of stand back. I have nothing to offer. But it looks like, because I'm standing back and watching everything and I have the uniform on, it looks like I'm actually in charge, like I'm the boss, you know, standing around. So everybody inevitably around the scene comes up to me and they start giving me information. And they're like, hey, you need to, you need to understand this girl. She's going to die if she doesn't have this happen and that. And I look at him, I go, oh, no. You're, you're talking to the wrong guy here. I am not the hero. Like, let me grab someone who actually is the hero. And let me grab the firefighter and bring him over. And it happens time after time. Everybody goes, look, you're wearing the uniform. You got the badge. You came in the truck. You're the guy. And I look at them and I go, no, I'm not. I can pray for you. But you don't want me coming in or giving you an IV or running into the building with a fire hose. That is not what you want. It's the last thing you want. And I kind of I realized that as I looked at Hebrews chapter 11, I look at these examples, I sometimes feel like I'm just the ride-along guy. Like, yeah, I have the uniform, but I'm not Abraham. I'm not Moses. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not Noah. I, I, I'm not these heroes of the... These guys get faith. They are equipped. They can do great things. And God works in mighty, miraculous ways. I'm just, a, I'm just a pretend guy handing out, you know, paper badges and, and, and plastic hats sometimes. And I think the Apostle Paul, as he wrote the chapter of Hebrews we've been going through, he kind of understood a bit of that mentality when you look at the Bible, when you look at the grand stories of faith, when you look at the examples of people that God has worked through, you can easily look at the scriptures, you can even easily look at Hebrews chapter 11 and think, that's great and encouraging and cool, but that's not really me. I mean, that's not, I'm not a part of this. I get it. I get to learn from it. I'm just the ride-along guy with the uniform. But the Apostle Paul is going to look at it this, this morning as he wraps this chapter up, and he's going to say, no, the glimpse of faith I want to give you is a glimpse of hope, a faith that's built on something that can make even the least qualified of us into something far greater than we could ever imagine. You belong in this chapter. And so as we wind down Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to see that as he kind of takes us through some of the final examples of faith. If you have your Bibles, open up to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. We're going to be in verse 30 this morning, all the way to verse 40. I'm going to take a few verses at a time, we'll talk about it, and then we'll continue on through the chapter. So the first verse, verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe, when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, and of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, 
who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Pause real quick in the middle of verse 35 as we break here. He gives us a big list here. A big kind of catch-all as he's wrapping this up of, of heroes of the faith, if you would. Before we go on and before we jump into the end of the chapter, you have to kind of notice something about what Paul is doing. You see, as, as he says here, I could go on all day long with examples. I got stories for days. Time would fail me to tell you of all the things in the Old Testament that God accomplished through people who had faith. So let me just give it to you straight, he says. From the walls of Jericho falling, from Rahab the prostitute to Gideon to Barak, Samson, David, and Samuel, all the way through all the prophets, from A to Z in the Old Testament, faith has been vital in how these heroes have overcome and in how the nation of Israel has survived, really. It was by faith that great things were accomplished. It was by faith that people were made strong out of weakness. It was by faith that armies were overcome and kingdoms were subdued. And he goes, by faith, all these great things happened. But if you go back to look at the list of what he lists here, you're going to find anything but the greatest, most heroic examples of faithful people that he could list. You see, as he rounds out this list, and he gives one situation to us, you would expect him to pick the best of the best, the most perfect of the perfect. Here he is making his point that you need to have faith. It's all about faith. But in reality, we find kind of, if you would, a letdown. I think it's a good letdown in some sense. Look at the first example he gives. He says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down when they were encircled for seven days. Right now, Maybe you grew up going to church and you can remember being in children's ministry and you remember the Sunday school stories where you marched around the classroom like the little Israelites and you shouted and then, you know, maybe some bricks toppled down or whatever the lesson was. It was like this very sensational, spectacular idea of faith, right? And for walls to fall down for a fortified city, that is a pretty amazing miracle. But think about the faith part of that. The Israelites were asked to go walk around a city for six days over in Joshua chapter 6. A city, by the way, that was not what we would think. It's not like they were asked to march around Orange County, right? The city of Jericho, most scholars and historians kind of estimate the walls to be, for a, a town that size in their day and age, they found like elements of walls in this area, but they don't have the exact size, about a mile around. And to be safe, let's give them another half mile because they shouldn't have been stupid enough to walk right underneath the wall and get like bricks dropped on their head or whatever people are going to throw down at them, right? So maybe a mile and a half around these guys had to walk. So for six days straight, they just woke up, walked around a mile and a half and came back and hung out. Did nothing. Probably walk and talk like our women's ministry on the first Saturday of the month, right? The walking ministry, right? It was just a walk and talk these Israelites would go around. They didn't have anything grand or spectacular to do. I think 99% of us in this room are qualified for that. The seventh day, a little harder, they had to walk around seven times. Okay, maybe 98% of us can do that. 
All right, seven times they encircle the wall, and then they just shout, they blow their trumpets, and God does the rest of the work. The walls fall down. The people of Jericho are so terrified that we're told they stormed through the town and it was barely a fight at all. Here's the point. This wasn't very spectacular of a faith action on the behalf of the Israelites. It wasn't something that you and I couldn't do. Can you get up and walk? Sure. Cool. You're qualified to walk around the walls of Jericho. Sometimes we look at faith and we go, oh, I can never, I mean, the walls fall down. We look at the miracle. We look at the -the over-the-top thing that God does and we think, I couldn't do that. And we fail to realize that the faith, and the faith part wasn't all that hard. And look at the next moment here, or the next instance of faith he gives us. By faith, in verse 31, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Right? Now he goes on to say, I want to give you a second example. He's he's wrapping up this list of characters and examples. This is the final character, by the way, in the list of examples he's given that was given with any real detail. She makes the side of the list that is up there with Noah and Abraham and Moses. And now he goes, look, I want to further make this grand point that faith is vital. He doesn't choose a hero, a moral standing you know, character that you would go, oh, I want my kid to be that when they grow up. He chooses a prostitute, the harlot Rahab. God only knows what the spies were doing in her house anyways, how they ended up there. They end up running in and hiding in at her house. She hides them, and not only was she a prostitute, someone who didn't have great moral character, she was a pagan. She was from the the Canaanites, the, the city of Jericho, where they were from. She was not only that, but when the king sent soldiers to look after these soldiers, they came to her to look after the spies. They came to her door, and she lied to them. Okay, this is kind of all caught up here. A morally corrupt prostitute lying who saves the lives of these spies and now makes it into the hall of faith. And I look at this and I'm like, Paul, couldn't you have chosen someone a little better? Someone a little more polished? Someone with more examples of faith in their life? And he goes, no, 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 she's perfect. And not only that, you want to compound this, later on we find over in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, she makes it into the genealogy of Jesus. Somehow after this point, she married into the nation. And when they're going through Joseph's side of lineage, they choose to bring out Rahab as one of the four women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Was she qualified for this type of faith to make it into the hall of faith? Was she some grand character? Nope. Was she someone that I want my son to bring home one day? Nope. But was she someone willing when that one moment came along? When everything mattered to say, you know what? I may have a bad past. I may have a lot of mistakes. I may not deserve to be a part of this story and this plan. But okay. I'll trust this God. I've heard what he can do. She had heard what happened with the Egyptians and the Red Sea. She had heard these Israelites had come through the desert and they're wandering. And now here they were on this side of the Jordan trying to take their promised land. And she goes, sure. I'll believe. And for this woman, I look at it and I go, man, actually the bar's not as high as I thought. Not to put her down or anything, but we can surely all find ourselves in this story too, can't we? And you keep going on here and you look at the list from Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel. 
And he strings together people who, at first, you go, oh, David, Gideon, Samson. I've heard all the Bible stories. I, they did great things. It's true. What do these guys all have in common? They've done great things for the Lord. They've had spiritual highs with the Lord. But you also know what they have in common? They had some big, big problems. Some big, big mistakes. Some big, big blunders. Some of them outshone anything good they ever did for the Lord. Look at Gideon, right? Gideon famous over there in, um, in Judges chapter 7, right? When God t- had him take his army of 30,000 men and dwindle it down to 300 men to go take on the Midianites. And he did, right? With their clay jars and their torches and their trumpets. And they went out there and they confused the enemy and took them. A battle they never should have won, but by faith, Gideon went out and did this amazing thing. But Gideon, you also remember, Gideon didn't really trust the Lord that much. How many times did he have to throw out a fleece for God to show him exactly that he was with him and exactly that he was going to be there? Not once. That wasn't enough for God to miraculously speak to him and say, I'm with you. He had to do it twice. And not only that, but if you look at Gideon's life, as Gideon's life goes on, Gideon, you would think, hey, the older I get in my maturity and spirituality, the wiser I'm going to be, the better decisions I'm going to make. Not the case with Gideon. The older he got, the worse decisions he made. Over in Judges chapter 8, verse 27, for some reason we find that Gideon decides, hey, I'm going to take all the gold and spoil from one of these raids we made, and I, I'm going to make an ephod, a golden ephod, to represent God speaking to us. And we're told that when Gideon made that, all of Israel, over in Judges 8, 27, all of Israel played the harlot, and it was a snare to Gideon and his house. It's like, Really? This guy makes it into the hall of faith when he only gets a little worse as time goes by, the more mistakes he makes. I thought he was supposed to get better and more perfect and greater heroism. And it's like, in reality, no. That wasn't Gideon's course of his life. But God goes, no. I have him here for a reason. Look at Barak. Barak, you would think, great soldier, leader and commander of the army. There in Judges chapter 4, when Deborah calls Barak and says, Deborah's kind of the judge at the time, and she says, hey, Barak, I want you to lead us out against the Canaanites. They've taken us and enslaved us. You're supposed to lead us to victory. And and Barak comes to her, the great soldier comes to her and says, hey, I'm not going to battle, Deborah, unless you go with me. Right? Now, that sounds great in in today's times where we, we honor and venerate women in leadership roles, but that wasn't the case when they lived. That was embarrassing. That was shameful in some sense. And there were great women, and it should be honored and respected that that Deborah was a great leader. But in some sense, Barak was looked at as kind of a failure. But here he makes it into the hall of faith because he did go to battle. Samson. Samson, you hear about all the Philistines he killed and all the great feats of strength, but no greater tale of, of, of missed opportunity of someone who had been given so much and could have done so much more with their life yet settled for so little than Samson in his life as he gets married to the Philistine bride, as he then takes on Delilah, as he then goes out and and is constantly getting into these battles and squabbles that don't really mean anything for the nation of Israel until finally Delilah gets the best of him, chops off his hair and they take him and, and, and bring him captive. And we're told that the Philistines kind of have this This embarrassing situation where he's meant to slave and work away in front of them and they laugh and one day they bring him into their house. And and, and Samson's greatest moment of faith is also probably 
one of his one of his saddest moments because it's suicide that leads Samson to his great moment of faith as he feels a little bit of his hair and his strength comes back. And you remember the story where he sees the pillar and he goes and leans and pushes down the pillar and the entire house falls down on all the Philistine lords and commanders. His great moment of faith? Suicide. Work that one out. That's, that's the examples he's giving us here. He goes on to say, Jephthah, if you know, he's going through the judges at this period. And Jephthah, if you know, Jephthah was a, a great leader, military leader, not so great of a parent in the decision he made. If you remember Jephthah's story, he took out the Ammonites and came back so excited as he came back home. And he said to the Lord, look, Lord, I am so thrilled at the victory you've won us that I want to make a vow to you. Whatever comes out of my house first, I will sacrifice to you. It's pretty great if all you keep in your house are animals, but he forgot that his daughter lives there too. And out comes first his daughter. And parent of the year, Jephthah, goes, you know what, Lord? Nonetheless, I'm giving her to you. Gives her a year to mourn and to, to hang out with her friends, and then we're told that he goes through with the vow. I mean, you thought you were a bad parent? <laughs> Go on to, to Samuel. Samuel, amazing metronome for spirituality in the nation of Israel, as we saw in 1 Samuel horrible parent. His kids were wicked and evil, deceitful, a big snare in the side of Israel. And then we get to David, mentioned in this list here. And of course, Pastor Dave just took us through the life of David, and we saw some amazing things from David's life, some amazing victories and moments of faith, but we also saw the great human side that David had, Bathsheba, numbering the people, family problems left and right. And if you look at this list, as we close down here, what's the point, Justin? It's not that I'm, I'm sitting here tearing down all these people. Because Hebrews 11 doesn't do that e- either. It doesn't air their dirty laundry at all. As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 11 looks straight through all of that. and says, look, you know the important thing in all of their life? It was that they were not held back by the mistakes they made when it came to the moments that they needed to have faith. They were not held back by the character flaws they had when the moment came along that they had to trust in the Lord. And this chapter looks at them and only sees the faith. It doesn't see the mistakes. It doesn't see the the errors. It doesn't see the inadequacies because they're there. But it only sees the hope and the faith that that these heroes bring to us. It's a faith that should make all of us feel like this isn't only for champions and heroes. It's not only for people who have it all together. It's for us too. And it's faith who came through peop- that came through people who we should all be able to relate to. And there's a variety of these people too. It doesn't just take one type of person. They all don't look the same. They were all lives that weren't perfect, heroes who weren't untouchable, who didn't always win. And so he starts this, this closing argument by saying, look, from A to Z, I want you to know that it wasn't as grand as we sometimes think it was, faith. It wasn't as untouchable as we sometimes look at these people as as being. These are people and these are situations that we should actually be able to see ourselves in. And he continues on with another important aspect as we get into the next few verses here about faith. Look at verse 35, the second half of it. He says, others were tortured not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. 
and still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two. They were tempted and they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. I pause there for a moment real quick. As he goes on here, he goes, look, first of all, not every character or situation is as perfect as we might think it needs to be for faith to happen. But now he lets us know that, look, not every outcome to faith is as perfect as you might think it needs to be as well. Right? This is an aspect of faith that I think we can often get wrong. It's really easy to fall into that trap, and you might hear preachers on TV that say it, look, if you have faith, nothing can stop you. If you have faith, then everything's going to be fine. If you have faith, then name it and claim it. If you have faith, you're going to overcome every obstacle in life. But Paul's way too classy to treat us like a, a used car salesman who just is only trying to get you to focus on the positive here, Right? I mean, really, when you're making an argument for something, don't you always just neglect the negative and focus on the positive? Paul goes, no, look, I don't want that to happen. It's like, you know, my wife and I, we recently went on vacation. And whenever you plan a vacation, this is kind of how it goes. You're only going to look at the good things on the brochure or on the website, right? And and no brochure or website is ever going to show you the negative things, right? And I saw we had some credit card points and we could take a free flight somewhere. And so we decided to go down to Puerto Vallarta. Vallarta in Mexico. And we thought, like, this is awesome. I'm looking at the pictures, crystal blue water, like an infinity pool. The ocean is amazing. It's sunny. Everybody's on the beach playing volleyball, having fun. And then I saw the tacos, and I was like, oh my gosh, the food is going to be amazing. And we're like, we, we didn't get to celebrate our 15th wedding anniversary, and we thought, okay, cool. We can go take a cheap trip, and this is going to be awesome. We didn't really like see the downside of things until we got there. The things that aren't showed on the brochure, like the fact that it was like 100 degrees with 100% humidity, almost like today, right? And the fact that, that this storm we're now seeing was actually forming down where we were a week ago. And so every day we're coming out and it's raining and the water is muddy and murky. And at one time we, were, we wanted to go swimming and then we saw there's all these signs on the beach that said crocodiles out, do not swim. And I was like, what? Crocodiles? Like, and, you know, the people in the pool did not like the, look like the people in the brochure. And, you know, nobody ever tells you that you're going to sit next to the guy in the airplane who has no sense of, of personal boundaries or hygiene or anything like that. Or the hotel's never going to tell you that this is going to be the worst bed you've ever slept in in your life. You know, it's rock hard and the pillows smell. And, you know, it, none of that's written on the brochures. And yes, we had an amazing time. It was great to get away and enjoy the humidity together. And the tacos were good. But I mean, in some sense, that's kind of how we go through life. We only want to focus on the positive. We only want to see the good. Don't tell me about the bad flip side of things like, oh, no. And, and Paul goes, oh, look, you, you're not going to get very far in your faith if you don't understand that there's going to be some difficulties involved. There's going to be some pain. Uh, it, it's... it's It's not something, and the things he describes here are not simple things. He goes, look, these people of faith throughout the years have been tortured. They've had trials of mocking and chains and imprisonment. Some were stoned, some were tempted, some were even killed and, and sawn in two by the sword. Some wandered about in sheepskins 
and goat skins and caves and dens on the earth. What's the picture he's painting here? And we could go look up every example, but more so he's painting a picture of faith. He's not trying to discourage you and go, oh no, I don't want this. He's trying to give you the whole picture here of faith and say, look, you have to understand there's an aspect of faith, destitute, afflicted, tormented, he says. There's an aspect of faith that is sometimes going to hurt, that is sometimes going to be difficult. Not everyone's going to be a superhero, and not every situation is going to turn out perfect either. But he says, look, there's an aspect of faith that is at odds with this world in verse 38. He says, of whom the world was not worthy. Right? From our perspective in this world, sometimes your faith means it's going to look like you're losing. It's going to look like you're not as far ahead as some of the other people who are, who are doing things by the standards of the world, who are into the ways of the world. He goes, faith means that I'm going to get hurt sometimes. I'm not always going to fit in or belong in this world. And I'm going to have to make choices and abstain from things or have a different focus than everyone else in this world. And at one time or another, you have to accept the fact that your faith means you aren't going to fit in right here. There's an old rhyme. I love it. It goes, can we follow the Savior far? who have no wound or scar. And it's so true when you look at Jesus and what he went through and what he says we'll go through if we follow him. When you choose to follow the Lord and to trust in him, you're going to find yourself with different values than this world. You're going to find yourself living with different morals. You're going to find yourself spending your time, your energy, your focus, your money, Everything that God gives you and allows you in this world with a different focus than people of this world. I know we'd love to line it all up. My country, my family, my job, my community, everything. And I I know we'd all love it to just get along perfectly. To just dwell together and, and, you know, like imagine, like John Lennon and the Beatles, right? It's just imagine this world that everything gets along and everything. But the fact of the matter is, is God has called you out of this world. He's called you to be different than this world. He's called you to live with a different focus than this world. Jesus said it so well over in John chapter 15 as he prayed. He said, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I think sometimes we have to understand our faith will set us at odds with family members, with people in this world and the value systems around us. And if you don't get this, you're going to give up really easily. If you don't get that sometimes your faith is going to hurt, sometimes trusting God doesn't mean you have all the answers, sometimes it's not going to make sense or be easy, then you're settling for a pretend Christianity, a pretend religion, where you're, you're trying to get everything your way. You're trying to have God make it go your way, but he goes, look, faith means you're going God's way, not your way and not the world's way. Faith means you're looking to fit in with him, not everyone around you. But he says that doesn't mean it's not worth it. He says this world isn't even worthy of people of faith. This world 
has nothing to offer them if they're truly trusting in the Lord. And the moment we can wrap our heads around that is the moment we cannot be so angry, frustrated, just losing it when this world doesn't go our way. When we don't get the things we want, God goes, look, understand, it's going to hurt often. And our faith means we're following your lead, Lord, not our own. And it's only through those trials and pains of our faith that we ever really find the sense of hope and joy that faith can truly bring us. And that's his great encouragement as he's, he's winding up this argument. Now, it's kind of a bummer to leave on, right? Hey, everything's going to hurt. Enjoy your week. You know, drive safe. And it's not how Paul leaves it either, right? We've got two more verses, and I think he, he kind of he is bringing us with this realistic observation of faith in the end. That, look, not every superhero in here is quite the person we thought they were. And we should be able to see ourselves in there. And also, at the same time, look, faith is going to be difficult. There's going to require endurance and perseverance here. And then he ends by saying, look in verse 39 and 40, I love this. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. I love that. He goes, I know it might seem like this might be difficult, I know as he's talking to his Hebrew audience, remember these Hebrews, and we've talked about this multiple, multiple times, they'd come to this faith in Jesus, but they'd also come to this point where life was difficult around them. They didn't fit in. They didn't belong. Things were, were awkward, and, and, and they, were, they were being alienated in their society. The, the, the culture was difficult for them to, to connect with, much like many of us, right? And they were tempted to go back to the familiar, to turn back to their old ways of doing things and thinking, look, it was easier before. Kind of like the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. Oh, it was better in Egypt. It never really was. And it never really was easier for them. And they didn't realize that. And Paul now looks at them and he goes, don't you understand in verse 39, all these Old Testament saints that you might feel tempted to go back and say, that's where it's all at. That's the religion I want to stick with. All these Old Testament saints, they were great. They were approved by God. But they died looking forward to the promise. There was something that they were looking forward to that they never fully saw in the end when it concerned their faith. Right? It was like they were moving forward with a promise, but it was a big question mark. A promise of deliverance, a promise of a heavenly homeland we've seen in this chapter, a promise of a better resurrection. But when they died, they still hadn't seen what that meant. They died not knowing how it all worked out. They died not knowing, I, I mean, think about it. They didn't know what heaven was. They didn't know how the story ended. They didn't know how they would overcome death. And they looked forward to a day that this would all make sense, but they were approved. They were the example we should look at and learn from, but there was still something lacking. And I love what he says here, because up until now, he's been like, they, them, these guys of faith. And then in verse 40, he goes, God having provided something better for us. I love that. All of a sudden now, us, we're involved in this. He goes, they had it good. They trusted God. Follow their example, but also know this. There was something better. And you're now a part of this chapter. Right? And he's saying, look, you're a part of this. Uh, you, not only are you a part of this, 
you've got something better than they had. Because you now see Jesus. And they didn't. You now see that promise fulfilled. And they were looking forward to it, hoping for it, but didn't see it. And the implications of this are are vital to our faith, right? He's saying, since what you see in Jesus, since you have that, you understand that, you now have a basis for faith and hope that they never had. You have a foundation. You have a realization. You have a place to now rest your faith that they didn't. It was a big question mark in some sense. He says, beyond that, you have perfection. Perfection, as he would say, it's in a sense that a perfect and loving God died for you. And you see how he's wrapped up this story. That uh, Jesus went to the cross for you. That you've been forgiven that you, uh, you've been purchased by the blood of Christ, you've been redeemed, and you have access to the heavenly city that they look forward to. And because of that, he says, now you are a part of this chapter. He's laid out all these examples of faith, these varieties of people, from Abraham to Rahab, the good, the bad, the ugly. And you might have started this chapter going, oh man, these guys are great examples, but whew, I can't do that. I can never live up to that. I'm struggling to make it through today. I'm just barely making it by in my culture and society. I can't do what they did. That's outrageous. That's not me. And he would say to you, wrong, as he ends this chapter. Not only that, but you've got something better. You have Jesus, and you can see how this all ends up for you. And you can courageously face whatever comes your way, and to know that no matter how much it might hurt, no matter you know, whether you win, law, lose, or draw, uh, no matter what lies ahead, that this world is not the end for you. That your story and the story of faith did not end as Hebrews chapter 11 ended. But it goes on with you. That you have a hope that goes on beyond the grave. An eternal home secured by Christ. And it's as if he's saying, look, In knowing this, you now have the courage, the strength it takes to endure, to go on. It's why chapter 12, it's it's like he's built this locomotive train and set it off. And and, and then they put this chapter division. Now, the chapter divisions were man-made. They weren't put there by the, the Bible writers. And so often the chapter divisions get in the way. Chapter 12 should really start after verse 3 of chapter 12. It's why he's built this case. And then let me read to you just a few verses from chapter 12, and you'll see exactly how this fits together. Look at what he says. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God, on the, on the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. <sighs> That's his big conclusion. He's going, look, you want to know what's so better about what you have? You have Jesus. And when your eyes are on him, you realize, you know what? I've got this cloud of witnesses. He's talking about Hebrews chapter 11, witnesses. I've got this group of people pushing me forward saying, go. You can do it. You can make it. Don't give up. 
Don't turn back. Don't settle for less. Don't just go through the motions. Don't just pretend, look, if I go to church and I just, you know, say the right things, give my check, just just go through the things, then I'm there. That's faith. He goes, no, this, this is your chapter. These are your people. This is where you belong. You were meant to face this world, the issues of this life, courageously. You are meant to, no matter what happens to you, look at Jesus and say, I know that whether I die, that whether I'm sick, that whether everyone else around me forsakes me, that whether I'm sick or homeless or whatever in this world, I know that in the end, because my Savior rose from the dead, because he endured the shame of the cross, because he did that for me, I know how my story ends. So I don't have to be afraid of what other people think. I don't have to be afraid of taking risks. I don't have to be afraid of letting go of things in this world. I don't have to be afraid. And I can now face tomorrow. I can now face anything in this world and say, you know what? I don't know how this is going to work out. But beyond that, I know how it has worked out in the end. I know that Jesus is there. I'm not just here for a ride along. (laughs) I'm not just wearing the uniform and pretending to be one of these guys. This is my call to find myself in the hall of faith. It was... uh, a young D.L. Moody who said one time he was sitting as a child in a message and he heard the pastor say, the world has yet to see what God can do through a man who is totally yielded to him. And Moody, as he heard those words, was captivated by it. And he said, by the grace of God, I will be that man. Now, young Moody went on to drop out in fifth grade from his education. He was never much of a scholar, never had any formal training, But young D.L. Moody went to be one of the greatest evangelists of the early 19th century. He went on to form the Moody Bible Institute and form the Moody Bible Church. He spoke to tens of thousands of people at a time as he evangelized. And he was often quoted as saying, I feel most at home amongst children, because that's the only people who have the same intellect as me. (laughs) Young Moody was willing to say, hey, God, I'm not very educated, equipped, talented even, but I'll be that man. I'll take that step of faith. I'll be the person who, when you call, says, you know what, Lord, I'll share. I'll go. I'm not just going to go through the motions. And when someone yields their life to God like that, there's no end to the amazing things that God will do through them. But what about you? What about me? Are you willing to look at yourself and say, you know what? I'll be that man. I'll be that woman. I'll be that person who doesn't just hear the message, close my Bible, go home, and go back to just the casual way I can do things to fit in with this world. I'll be the person that stands out, God. I'll be the person who holds on to you when I don't understand, when I don't have all the answers. I'll be the person who When everyone around me is doing things differently, Lord, I'm going to look to you. God's looking for people like that. Your story was meant to be a part of this chapter. And the moment we, just us in this room or just us listening online, can get in our heads that sometimes this is going to hurt and that's okay. That I don't have to have it all perfect to follow God and to take a step of faith. And man, God is going to do great things with our faith. Amen? Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you so very much that you would write us into this story, that you would look at us in this room, a bunch of people who aren't qualified, feel often feel overwhelmed and unequipped, often feel like we're not enough, Lord, and you would look at us and say, that's exactly what I've always used and what I want to continue to use. That we could look at you, Jesus, and say, yeah, as, a, as inadequate and ill-equipped as we are, Lord, you are everything. You are the greater version of us that we could never be, so thank you. Thank you that we can put our faith and trust in you and we could face anything you bring along, knowing that you will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus, we thank you that you went before us and that you give us such a great example. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.